Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves, and kicking things off for us tonight, Marin. 
might also recognize that voice as the host of Cole's Notes. Uh, with Anyways Mayonnaise, from a tribute to Transistor Sound and Lighting Company, uh, brought out by my friend Nick Friesen, uh, formerly of Jaded and Elated here on 101.5 UMFM, hoping to get Nick on next week on the show to talk about that comp that he just put out. Uh, but we got ourselves a busy show tonight. We're going to get right into it coming up just after this song. Lila Bialy coming to town December 13th uh, for a Christmas concert. Some of her new originals as well as some Christmas classics. Uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. But here's a brand new Christmas song. This is from Sofia Talvik. This is Alone for Christmas here on 101.5 UMFM. In a world of colored lights, I am alone tonight. Snowflakes fall, but they can't warm this cold, cold heart of mine. The carolers are singing songs of love and cheer, but I'm just longing for someone to Again. 
All right. Well, we've had her on when she's come for the Jazz Winnipeg Festival, but bringing winter songs and holiday classics to the Crescent Arts Center on December 13th. Lila Bialy joins us back on the show. Welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me back, Michael. It was such a treat to chat with you ahead of the Ostara show in the summer, and now now we're coming back with a winter offering. Yeah, although, I mean, Ostara isn't necessarily, it's not like summer songs. It wasn't like necessarily solstice songs, <laughs> but uh, I mean, this one is definitely much more seasonal. Um, but it you're is. bringing in another fantastic collection of performers. Yes, yes. We're, we're really proud of this particular lineup, and it is one that I've never toured with before, so so really new in terms of both the configuration and um, the, 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 the independent individual musicians involved. So I know, obviously, when we talked about the Astara Project, that was something that like, kind of gelled together purposefully. When it comes to putting together a, a group of artists for something like this, like what are you looking for? How are you making the connections? How are you putting this band together? Oh, that's a great question. It's a combination of our sense either through experience or just knowing the musicians that we're, we're, we're bringing into the fold and, and, you know, imagining um, how they will help shape the music specific to this project. And, you know, you don't really know till you get there now with Jane Bennett, who will be with us in Winnipeg and Rebecca Volkstein, the first violinist, they were with me at Kerner Hall in Toronto uh, this time last year when we debuted Winter Songs and Holiday Classics and it was a huge theater. Uh, 1,100 people were there. So a bit of a different environment, but their ability to really bring this music to life and um, strike a wonderful balance between kind of honoring my vision as the writer and arranger, but then also really bringing the fullness of who they are as musicians to the table as well, that they they just really nailed that. And and so to answer your question a little more broadly, Michael, I, I was very lucky to get uh, partial funding from Canada Council for the Arts, which is why I could bring both Jane and Rebecca and my husband, Ben Whitman, who is integral to this music, even uh, in terms of its original inception. So they'll be joining us. And then Daniel Fortin, or For- Fortin is going to be on bass. I've never worked with him before, but my dear friend, Aline Homsey, who brought her Etoile Magique to Winnipeg this past summer. Um, he's part of, of, uh, of her band and he's just, I, I heard them live and he's unbelievable. So super thrilled to have him. And then a couple of fabulous local Winnipeggers. So Samuel Natarak on cello and uh, John Selleck on viola. And, you know, there's a connection there because Luke Selleck, his brother, a fabulous bassist, we used to work together when I lived in New York City. And uh, so there's all these beautiful connections in the music world. And while I've never worked with with Dan or Samuel or John before, I really just have the strong sense that there's going to be a wonderful alchemy and, and chemistry with this particular group. Now, if memory serves, Alison Al is involved with the Astara Project, right? Oh, sorry. Can you say that one more time? If memory serves, Alison Al is involved with the oh, Astara yes. Project. She is. She is Dan, indeed. Dan's played bass for her. So I was just thinking yes. that's another connection. Yes, indeed. I, I, I sing on that album, as you know, and, and uh, on Allison's latest uh, release, The Migrations Project, which is just extraordinary. And I believe that John Maharaj is the one who plays bass on the recording. But Dan is just one of those incredible players who is involved with many, many different projects, um, live iterations, etc., uh, in Toronto and beyond. 
So you mentioned the inception of this uh, this project. Your your husband's integral to it. Like, was he a sounding board, or did he help kind of conceive of kind of what what the sound of the ra- the the performances would be? Like, what what kind of uh, relationship is it beyond obviously the obvious relationship of husband and wife? Yeah. It, well, it was both. So, um, and this is this is very typical of our process as co-producers. So. I went to Banff to the Center for Arts and Creativity in November and December of 2021, so two years ago. And it was for a short writing residency, and uh, I had an idea in mind for what I wanted to, wanted to accomplish while I was there. And then uh, nestled in my little cabin in the woods, surrounded by winter, um, I completely pivoted, and the muse took me in a, an entirely new and unexpected direction. <laughs> And the, this winter song suite just poured out and I immediately could hear strings And I was recording these demos and sending them to Ben. So, you know, immediately bringing him into the creative uh, process. And mostly it starts off with him encouraging me <laughs> and just being a really wonderful supportive. Um, it's funny because he's my husband, but I would almost call him a midwife, right? Like helping birth the ideas into the world which, you know, is a very vulnerable, vulnerable part of the artistic pro- and creative process, right? Um, there are a lot of judges that can show up in an artist's mind as they're creating new work. So Ben is just there cheerleading and saying, wow, this is great. And holy cow, I'm, I can't wait to sink my teeth into this music. And then the next phase, Michael, is, is I, I come home and we start to play through these songs as a duo. So Ben will bring his drum kit upstairs and and I'll play and sing and he'll join along and he'll begin to form his own concept as a co-producer and rhythm maker. And so that's the next phase. But he does weigh in on form, on lyrics, and he's a brilliant composer himself. So really, I I think it's not uh, a stretch to call him uh, a a co-writer to some degree, you know, whether it's like 5% of the ideas um, or 20, we don't necessarily quantify it, but he's, he is integral. His voice and opinions and ideas are integral. And then we, we, you know, go through the next steps of expanding the vision to include more players. And, oh my gosh, Michael, that felt again, so vulnerable last year when we gathered the band, including Rebecca Volgstein and Jane Bennett and got ready for this huge show at Kerner. And um, yeah, he just continued to help refine things as we uh, rehearsed and recorded rehearsals and listened back and um, integrated string arrangements from the great Drew Jareka, Grammy winning. Um, that's part of the show is uh, his beautiful arrangements for the string trio. And uh, yeah, so, and, and actually I should tell you that the, the music has also been recorded. So I'm gonna be releasing a full album of winter songs next year. So the string arrangements, like you said, you were in Banff, you're writing these songs, you hear strings on them. Like, do you then search out who you want to do the arrangements? Like, how do you go from like what you're hearing in your head to enlisting someone to help draw that out? I love your questions. So because for me, you know, I I did release an album, a non-jazz album in 2015 called House of Many Rooms, where I did the arrangements myself. Now, I am not a trained orchestrator. And so I approached it merely as a piano player who thought she could orchestrate, (laughs) which went okay. Um, It was really fun, super rewarding. And what I liked about that process was the strings became an extension of my voice. So while they did not 
you know, the, the, the level of writing and arranging and orchestrating was not at all what an expert could create. It was very personal. Um, however, in the nearly 10 years since, um, I did debate creating arrangements myself, but Drew is a specialist and an expert. And my um, previous full album release, uh, prior to your requests, Out of Dust, was my first real collaboration with him. He, he arranged a few songs on there for the Venuti String Quartet. And it was just such a successful collaboration. And what I loved about it, Michael, was that he, he brought to the table ideas that I just would never hear myself, right? And, and it really elevated the music and enriched it. And he's done the same with winter songs. However, we took it a step further and after presenting the music at Kerner Hall with Drew's arrangements last year, Ben and I, my, my husband and, and co-producer and drummer, we both felt that a few of the songs called for a larger group on recording. So we reached out to Rob Mathis, a longtime friend of ours who lives in New York. He music directed Obama's inaugural concert. <laughs> He also arranges for Sting and Bruce Springsteen, Vanessa Williams. He's just a super high level guy. And we never imagined that he would agree to it, but he did. And so he expanded arrangements for several of the songs from, you know, a quartet to a 20 piece string orchestra. And um, there are a couple of singles we've just released where folks get to hear his work, um, but his orchestrations especially shine on the winter songs material that comes out next year. So it's something to look forward to. Asking him with maybe not the expectation that he will do it. Is that one of those things where if you're prepared to hear no, you can ask the question? Exactly. Exactly. And so of course we couched the ask with all the, like, like preemptive apologies, no pressure, you know, all of that. Right. And um, we knew we could not afford, even with grant funding, we knew we couldn't afford what he's worth and what he would typically command as an orchestrator. So he literally did it for a song, if you'll pardon the pun, and um, was just such an awesome partner. And, and he really dove in. I mean, when he was working on the arrangements uh, last summer, we would just be getting messages from him and Sting, Sting calls them missives. So these very long emails. <laughs> about concept and his role and our role as artists and creators. I mean, it really got pretty philosophical and deep, but that's, that's the experience of working with a mind like Rob Mathis's. Did you record the Kerner Hall performance and then like go back and listen to it and tweak as to like what you were missing or what you were hoping for? Or was it something where like in re reflection without having listened to it, it was something you were thinking about? Well, Drew Jereka, who wrote the quartet arrangements, he is very technically savvy and had actually sent us Sibelius demos, like like um, robot demos, AI demos of the music. So we were able to already respond prior to the, the show. But you're right, uh, Kerner was live streamed. And so um, no one can access it now, but um, uh, uh, Mervon, the presenter there, shared this huge file of that half of the concert, the winter songs half with me. And so um, we've had that to refer back to. Um, and that's been super, super helpful. So apart from the, the strings and kind of revisiting that, what did you take away from that first performance that you're, you know, bringing to Winnipeg and bringing to these, these performances? 
Well, I was initially really unsure as to how people felt about the music. Um, I think often as self-examining artists, we, we, it's easy to doubt the work. And Winter so the, the response was very powerful. Um, got a standing ovation and, you know, people bought lots of CDs, of course, not winter songs because it wasn't available yet. Um, but I, what I hear back in that live stream, Michael, is how incredibly nervous I was. And now that, you know, fast forward a year and several shows, we've, we've already been out East playing this music and it's just, it's marinated. And last year, this time it was completely brand new. We basically got on stage at this huge venue and debuted an entire night of new music and new arrangements with the exception of like two or three songs in the second half. Everything else was brand new. And so I was just completely on the edge of my seat. And um, there were a lot of different elements to manage, including a dancer who joined us that night. And uh, but it was very thrilling. And I think the audience, you know, was experiencing our excitement and a little bit of that positive nervous energy, <laughs> which, you know, can be a good thing in that it keeps you on your toes. But these days and following our Eastern shows, it's it's really feeling comfortable now in a, in a good way where um, I'm able to, to I'm just I'm more inside the songs and winter songs is not splashy. It's more reflective, it's meditative, it's an invitation into um, a gentle space. And I typically am a performer who likes to come out guns blazing, like, you know, kick people in the pants and, and get a big response and, you know, pull out all the stops. But, but the first half is, is a little gentler. It ends really strong. But what I've learned, Michael, is that, you know, it, it, you don't need all the the pomp and circumstance to make an impression. And in fact, there were quite a few people who shared with us that they, they, they especially loved the winter songs segment, the first half, rather than the holiday classics, the second half, which is really, really fun and full of life and familiarity. Yeah. You'd mentioned nervousness and I was curious what's more nerve wracking presenting new songs in a, in a context where people are kind of like unfamiliar with them or, you know, a bunch of holiday songs that everyone's already known. Like that, you know, like yeah. which, like which one is more daunting as a performer? 100% the former, 100%. The moment I come out in the second half and we start the first two and it's this sort of romping version of, do you hear what I hear? Kind of bluesy and like a bit of a blues shuffle. And um, it's really fun. And the audience, you know, we get a big response to that one and, a combination of the familiarity and execution, right? It's, it's lively in its delivery and it's a bit of a journey. Um, so I, I, I go out with the confidence that people are going to know and really like that material. It's already tested and proven, if that makes sense. And I feel like I would have to do a lot wrong to screw it up because <laughs> right. the, the songs are so compelling. But I understand what you're asking because you could also argue that the songs are so well known that people might be a little more scrutinizing, right? Like, for example, when I go out there and I sing Joni Mitchell's River, um, that seems to be one that really connects. But, you know, there may be some J Joni Mitchell devotees in there who just, it's sacred for them and untouchable and even sacrilegious for me to try and do my version of, of that iconic song. So the good news is it seems to go well. But yeah, the winter song segment, because it, it's, 
it's such new music and I often have felt it's asking a lot of the audience, but um, several people now have said, no, no, no. It's a, um, they feel it's a very special performance, which, you know, is really affirming and encouraging to hear uh, because, you know, that's the segment of the night that I um, would be more, uh, I guess, a little less sure of in terms of how it connects and, and reads because of the newness. And because you have more ownership over it, I imagine. That too. Yeah, it's more vulnerable <laughs> for sure. Well, you're bringing the Winter Songs and the Holiday Classics to the Crescent Arts Centre on the 13th. Uh, before we let you go, I want to get you to pick a song that we can play for folks uh, if you have a reason why you're picking it or something that, you know, you can, can reveal about it. We'd love to hear that. Yeah, we released a song, Four Sundays to Christmas, um, at the end of November. And now we're short of Four Sundays to Christmas. But it's it's a song that really embraces the Advent season and what I think of as the Christmas countdown that anticipation that's almost childlike. And we were very lucky to have Natalie McMaster join us on this one. It's got a bit of a Celtic flavor. And so she was really the right fit. Also, Michael, I feel like Christmas music can really cross and blend genres um, in a way that, you know, might be more challenging for an artist um, at other times of year. I feel like we get a bit of a pass when it comes to Christmas music and the, se- the season itself, the holidays themselves are all about bringing together different communities, in my opinion. So the song reflects that there are some young singers from my son's school who joined us and then Natalie and then a 20 piece string orchestra and uh, and a core rhythm section, including my husband, Ben, on drums. Is your son singing on it? <laughs> he is. So it's yes, a truly family is. affair. <laughs> it is indeed. Wonderful. Well, we'll give that one a listen. A reminder, folks, uh, you can get tickets online at Show Pass. Uh, Winter Songs and Holiday Classic, Lila Bialy, thanks for taking some time to, to join us and safe travels. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And we're so excited to see folks at the Crescent Arts Center. It's my first time at that venue, and I cannot wait to experience it.
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. You just heard Four Sundays to Christmas from Lila Bialy. December 13th at the Crescent Arts Center. The next day at the West End Cultural Center, the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra's Christmas concert featuring the Grinch and Elvis. And uh, to make sense of that, I'm going to be talking to Quinn Green from WAJO, who is performing as the Grinch. Uh, before we get to that, though, we're going to keep it on the, the Christmas tip Indigenous artist and uh, icon Winston Wootton's Huron Carol was originally released in 2006, but was recently reissued by Turtle Island Music. Here it is on 101.5 UMFM. Twas in the moon of winter time when all the birds had fled that Mahigichi many to send angel choirs instead. The stars grew dim and wandering hunter heard the hymn Jesus your King Jesus is born in excelsis gloria Within a lodge of broken bark the tender babe was found A ragged robe of rabbit skin and wrapped his beauty round But as the hunter braised grew nigh the angel's song rang loud and high Jesus your king Jesus is born in excelsis gloria
right. Well, Elvis and the Grinch, the pair you didn't know you needed in time for the holiday season. The Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra presenting two shows December 14th at 1 and 7.30 p.m. at the West End Cultural Center. And joining me on the show, the Grinch himself, Quinn Green, actor and comedian. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, much appreciated. Very excited to to join you. So how did the idea for this pairing come about? I mean, the Grinch is an obvious, you know, seasonal selection at this time of year, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily think of putting Elvis and the Grinch together on a bill. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, we're calling it a kind of a strange labor of love. Uh, you know, the 20, after 2020 and all of that, you know, that, that time that was pretty tough on live performers in general. Uh, you know, my dad has been an entertainer in the uh, Manitoba Interlake um musical industry for years he used to run the 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 manitoba elvis festival for many years and is an elvis tribute artist um and and uh you know loves that community and it's been tough for him obviously he uh makes most of his living off of uh karaoke in the in in the um interlake area and uh doing some gigs obviously that trickled down to a close and then for me uh theater you know obviously was really tough uh, I've been working with the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra. We did a Charlie Brown Christmas for a few years since 2018. And then uh, and then we were talking about projects and of course everything shut down. So, um, you know, when things started kind of creeping towards a semblance of normalcy, um, I offered to Richard Gillis, the, uh, you know, artistic director of the WJO, hey, um, you know, what kind of shows are we looking for? And, and we did the Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas last year. It was super fun, you know, kind of like very fun, big, successful show. Audiences loved it. And uh, I said to Richard, hey, you know what? I, I miss performing in all kinds of ways. And I miss performing with my dad. We haven't gotten to do it for a long time. And he said, well, what about Elvis and the Grinch? Blue, Blue Christmas and the big green Christmas stealing machine of the Grinch. Do you think those things work? And uh, we, we hummed and hawed and we talked about it. And they seem kind of strangely disparate, two different weird ideas. But uh, but yeah, they've come together well. And, and uh, that's sort of how the show came to be in our brains. Now, with a father who's an Elvis tribute artist, was there ever any like push towards you following in his footsteps? Is this like like something where there's like familial ties and it gets passed down or did did you choose acting as like an act of rebellion from being an Elvis tribute artist? You know what? All, all of the above, all of the above. There was definitely a time. It's very strange. You know, if a dentist is like, Hey, you gotta be a dentist. We've been lawyers for generations. You gotta be a lawyer. My dad was definitely, there were times when he was like, just put on the jumpsuit, Quinn, just try it on for size. See if you like this life. I did a couple shows where I, I did, um, you know, I, I actually did the Elvis tribute artist thing and kind of put a funny spin on it. And, uh, and you know, to sort of mostly to placate my dad and and, and uh, join his world a little bit. And because at some point I thought it was uh, pretty funny to be sarcastic or cynical about the whole thing. And then other times I did, we my friends and I did a, uh, for one of the uh, years for the Manitoba Elvis Festival, we did a Rolling Stones tribute uh, cover band and, and that was fun. But uh, but yeah, he he's definitely been interested and excited about me getting into that side of things. And, um, you know, I've always loved being an actor and being on stage and being on screen. So, uh, yeah, the, the he taught me everything I know about on stage entertaining and, and that building up that charisma and that energy and connecting with your audience. And so it sort of naturally unfolded and I went my own way with it. 
Now, I mean, obviously, the there's a, a 1 p.m. showing. It's a you know matinee showing. Typically, is like family friendly affair. Is there anything different to performing something like this for kids rather than an adult audience? And particularly because I ask, you know, like not a lot of kids know Elvis these days. Yeah, it's true, and I I think that um, I think what kids can find interesting and, and exciting about the show. You know, my dad is a natural showman, and he's he's done it for all kinds of audiences, usually yeah, an, an older crowd. But there's a lot of really silly and fun theatricality about what he does. Uh, you know, he hands out silk scarves. He's always got the costume on. And the songs are big, fun, silly rock songs. So, you know, we hope that the kids who will come out to, and see that part of the show will be able to, you know, have fun and dance. Obviously, the West End Cultural Center is a nice big space. And if they're there, you know, if some kids want to get up and, and goof around um, for the Elvis and and dance along with my dad, we would love that. You know, I think that it might be a way for older audiences, especially maybe that the the grandparent generation to do something fun with their their grandkids. You know, there's something there for them and introduce them to rock and roll of that era and that style of music and uh, and the theatricality of Elvis. And then stick around for the the Grinch, which obviously is a, a holiday fan favorite for kids and, and, and adults alike. So they're two different sets. It's not like the two characters interact. Uh, not at the moment. No, we, there might be a little bit of crossover. We've talked about maybe having some surprise appearances from each side. Uh, so, so yeah. But for now, they're they're they're. We'll start in this first half of the show with my dad uh, doing his Elvis thing, and then uh, the second half of the show will be will be full on Grinch, stealing the scene. Now, obviously, Elvis did a lot of like film work. It, was it easier to get? scores for for elvis songs as a result of you know kind of like do, doing things big like that like not everything was a rock song that had to be reinterpreted yeah i think so i mean he's he's just he he had such a wild and versatile career you know it's um i was reading an article today about how he was conscripted into the war in the midst of his career obviously i think they just sent him off to to entertain the troops i don't i don't know that he actually saw combat or anything but he he has um, so many different songs of so many different styles. So oddly enough, he does kind of fit into different show styles and different genres. And, and a fun thing that I actually learned um, that I didn't realize before starting to look into the show and connecting the dots between Elvis and the Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss was published in the fall of 1957 and Blue Christmas was actually recorded and released in the fall of 1957. Which is a which is you know you think you don't think of those things necessarily of the same era, but they were you know kids uh, parents could have been reading their kids, putting their kids to bed to the Grinch, and then afterwards go and tune into oh what's Elvis's new Christmas song and check out Blue Christmas for the very first time that year that fall or that uh, Christmas. So kind of a funny connection as well. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because like I, to my mind, like Blue Christmas feels like an artifact, and and the Grinch who stole Christmas with its like recurrent you know broadcasts and sales, it seems like very much more like au courant. Yeah, absolutely. And the Grinch obviously you know keeps um, it, it keeps being reinvigorated. There was that cartoon in the '60s, and then of course the 2000s. That I'm a huge Jim Carrey fan, and uh, you know love love his physical style and. Uh, that movie was always lives large in my heart. We have a song, uh, "Where Are You Christmas?" from that film, and then um, and then we've you know, they they made a movie a couple years ago, an animated movie, and uh, 
yeah, he he's just a, an icon. The Grinch is an icon for people who both kind of don't get Christmas, aren't don't don't vibe with Christmas, and for people who you know secretly love Christmas in the back of their hearts, which might be who I am a little bit. Do you borrow from the Jim Carrey school for your your performance of the Grinch? Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, it was just so iconic, and he was just such a huge influence on me and the way that I love to do physical comedy. Some of the elements of that film, um, you know, just how he adapted something that was very, very classic in our minds, um, you know, rhyme, the, the rhyming scheme of it all and, and the language of Dr. Seuss, which is so unique and so um, vividly uh, imaginatively childlike. He just took that and he did, you know, one of my favorite moments is when he slunks over to the icebox and he just slides into the room and goes slunk and grabs onto the fridge. It's, there's, nobody could capture a moment on screen like Jim Carrey in that way, I think. Maybe Will Ferrell's a little close in that improvisational, just rolling with it so over the top. Um, But yeah, there's definitely some Jim Carrey in the show. For sure. Uh, now, there's not just the Grinch and Elvis. There's a, a third party to this on the, on the headlines. Helen White uh, is guest vocalist. Is she appearing in both halves, or how does how does her contribution work? Uh, yeah, so she'll be singing a song in the first half, um, and potentially there's a there might be a little duet with my dad, and then um, as uh, and she's just a wonderful, amazing uh, you know lounge singer, and has been a fixture in the the Interlake and Winnipeg or the Manitoba musical scene for so long. And she's in the second half. Um, that's where she does most of her pieces. And, you know, we, we do a little bit of foe on stage fighting because she's, she's doing her thing and I'm being a grumpy old Grinch about it. So last year working with her on stage, it was just so funny and great, has great improvise, improviser instincts and has brought so much silliness and happiness and joy to the stage, along with her absolutely beautiful voice. Well, she, along with you and your dad, will be playing two shows, 1 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. at the West End Cultural Center on December 14th. Um, Tickets at winnipegjazzorchestra.com. Before I let you go, Quinn, maybe do you want to pick an Elvis track that you've always enjoyed your dad's performance of? You know what? I would have to say... um, you know it's funny we were talking with my uh with somebody the other day and part of my as a kid growing up part of my punishment would sometimes if i got grounded which was rare to be fair um i would have to work with my dad and like stay hang out with him during rehearsals and and help him set up the equipment and and fix the levels so you know some of these tracks stick with me a lot um but i would say one (laughs) one of my favorites of all time would be uh Suspicious Minds. It's just such a fun, big, iconic Elvis song. And I, I do enjoy it secretly, maybe. Don't tell him. <laughs> sure enough. He will just don't tell him to tune into this uh, interview. Exactly. Well, uh, Quinn, thanks very much for taking some time to talk to us about it. Best of luck with the performances and happy holidays. Happy holidays, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, it's going to be really fun. We're excited to bring the Grinch back to the peg on December 14th. Caught in a trap I can't walk out Because I love you too much, baby 
just as afraid of you as you are, as you are. Sex lives of saints and invisible men. Devoured. I like an ox lost in the promised land, so like a pocket calculator, trying on some new name. Someday, someday, found my heart, found my heart.
This one's called Manipulator on High. I didn't mind you, baby, taking what you need. I didn't mind your tall tales, getting nine tails, leaving scars all over me. Now I see it as I Fear falling from grace Manipulator on high Said loosen up Charlie That's a tie out a noose Did you think that this system Was in the business Cutting the free boy loose Who's his man in the day Thanks God in the night time Great ghost of magicians Manipulator on Lust of lonely Dying to be free Stick out your hands Getting what you need He slides a finger to the trigger Gives a sexual release And then burned by desire Stands pleading it's my nature that would not cease Doing I in the sky 
watch his fingers slide In our nature you'll find manipulator on high This one's called Dark Eyes. Tongues, she came to me and said, Hey, baby, do you want to meet? Sweetest sin you'll ever find. The honest way of staying off your mind. And then the time would come for me to leave there. Out on the corner of the street, looking back. Cutting through the night Dark eyes driving stakes Right through my feet Mine. 
water to trace those new lines that she's made in a sea. Waiting in the sand in the place where we've been meeting, where all beauty has fallen at her feet. I go back on those times so often out, babe. How does one never forget a lonesome ocean evermore apart, babe? And those dark eyes burning holes straight through my chest. Just heard uh, Dark Eyes live in studio. Mason Melly, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, as I understand it, from Saskatchewan originally, now in Winnipeg, what brought you to town originally? Uh, I moved here to go to, I cut hair, so I moved here to go to hair school. Okay. Yeah, and I wanted to move to Winnipeg. I always liked the art and music scene and here. Had you made music in Saskatchewan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had like just kind of mess around bands with buddies all the time, but never recorded anything there so then once you got here obviously you know you got your your studies for for cutting hair and stuff but then like making music is it like just like on the side or like do you feel it's like kind of equally like a shared pursuit in terms of like yeah i'm as much as i possibly can yeah yeah totally so uh, obviously new record you're releasing it tomorrow the times changed um Maybe you can talk a little bit about the the genesis of, the, of this record. Like, is it a collection of songs that you feel kind of like all fit together, or is it kind of this is the stuff I was most happy with during this period of time, and I got it on record? Like, yeah, I think most of it. I was living in Australia for a year and a half, or kind of two years back and forth between there, uh-huh. and I think a lot of them kind of came out of that. So I think they they all kind of are around that part of my life. I would say. And so are they about Australia or not like- really, <clears throat> not really just kind of like I was seeing, well, I, I had a partner that was living there and yeah, they're all kind of tied into the mood that was going on. I don't know through, through that time. <laughs> okay. So when you say that, like, like stuff, like, do you, do you write your feelings out? Like, do you? No, nah, not really. No, no, not really. No, I, I don't know. I think it was more just. Yeah, kind of what was around. Like, I'd be walking around there, and something would pop into my head, and it all felt. And, I mean, there's a vibe there, too, that's all a little bit different than here. So, well, yeah, a little like, more wild, a little there's, more There's singer-songwriters over there. Uh, yeah, for me, it was like, I don't know, like, there was a lot of, it was probably, like, the like the techno and stuff there. Oh, really? It was kind of cooler than anything, and the punk music, yeah. 
I don't know. It was just, yeah, like between the nature of being crazy and a lot of those crazy festivals and stuff. And yeah, there was a vibe that was pretty, I don't know, kind of drive, driving. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was just wild, a lot of wild stuff. So your response to that is some like introspective songs? Is that like some like some of the stuff is kind of like maybe maybe like there's some stuff that's you know personal for sure writing, but like more the the beats and stuff like that that was pretty cool down there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then I, and I know we talked to kind of off air that you're you're working on a friend's record right now, mm-hmm. and so it's like in terms of getting tied into like the Winnipeg music scene and stuff once you moved here. Like, did you find, like, a particular person, or did you, like, what kind of, yeah. like, brought you in? I've been crazy lucky, like, and it's honestly just from cutting people's hair, getting lucky. And, like, I had a friend, um, one of my good friends, Greg Hay, he plays with the symphony. And uh, he was learning banjo, and we were kind of always talking, like, oh, we should get together and play. So we did, and we, we I got invited to kind of sit in with a bluegrass band, so we did that for couple years called hay fever and that was amazing just all like way better musicians than me so i got to learn with them and then from that and i had already kind of met uh a a friend grant siemens Mm -hmm. in town who's nuts and yeah honestly without him uh yeah him and uh another friend sean dealey after we recorded that bluegrass one invited me back to do my own ep and uh yeah without those guys like i don't think and then you just keep rolling and meeting unbelievable people who've been just incredibly generous so like did grant know you had the ep in you or did you talk to him about it like how did he say had, like after you'd done the bluegrass that this is what you should do a couple songs on that i sang in that hay fever i wasn't the singer or anything but i did one or two and uh he's like you got a few more and i said yep so then i sent him just a couple like on my phone recordings and yeah we went in and banged that out in a couple of days so working with Grant, like, did he try to kind of capture, like, off an off the floor kind of thing? Yeah, we did. Well, we did all the bed tracks, and then, and then I think with that one, I don't think I sang it live, but we did everything else. But it was funny because like we didn't have any, we didn't rehearse, we didn't just me and Sean Dealey and Grant Siemens. So I went in, and yeah, we never played the songs before. I didn't like Sean was the sound engineer, and he was like, "Where's your drummer?" I'm like, "You want to do it?" And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> So then we, so yeah, we just went in and took them a few times and, uh, yeah, it was super fun. Is that like kind of your approach to things like, or is that just kind of how that one shook out? Like kind of how that one shook out, just had no, no, um, experience with that world at all. Like it was so awesome. Uh, but I didn't know what to do. Yeah. So this new one, um, yeah, just like kind of like. My best buddies, uh, these two brothers, Austin Parahoniak and Brody Parahoniak, we were all living, my brother and those two brothers were all living in a duplex on either side. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we played music all the time, all the time. And played these songs a bunch, kind of as I was writing them. And, yeah, so this one was a lot different. Like, we had it all done, and we made it in the basement of that place. So you'd worked out all the songs. It wasn't like, hey, let's figure out a drum line right nah, now. No, yeah. not really. No, no. Those guys, like, I mean, I kind of always have an idea of what I want to sound like, but those guys are such ace musicians. They just, yeah, I'm like, do what you want to do. 
Yeah, like working with Grant and Sean, like I, I have to imagine, like because they've done so much with so many different mm-hmm. people, like they can pick up on what you're putting down for sure. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like maybe like with your brother and his pair of brothers, that it's it's like you're all working it out together. Pretty well, pretty well. Yeah. Like I, I when I write it, like I kind of hear. Maybe if there's a one line or, you know, like if there's a guitar part that needs to happen, I'll show them that. But outside of that, like, I don't think it's fun to just play everything note for note. It's way more fun to just do what you're going to do. If you have good enough musicians, you know, like, which these guys are all, again, so lucky to have good people around who are good at music. Right. Yeah. So is that how you approach, you know, like something like the album release show tomorrow? Like, like, do you have a pretty firm plan of what you're playing or is it more loose like hey let's try to be spontaneous and keep some of the kind of energy we got the song i mean we got a set list but I'll, yeah i mean i think that like you know solos or this or that or like nothing has to be perfect ever i don't think as you'll hear in those songs <laughs> so but, uh t- the title oh what, the return of loco weed yeah what what's um, the story my I guess my uncle, because I grew up in Saskatchewan in, in a town called Weyburn that's like 10,000 people, and both my parents grew up on farms about an hour south, like right on the Montana border. So it's all pretty wild out there. But anyway, there's this weed that's called local weed, and it grows pretty invasive, and it'll get your cows sick if they eat it, so it's not cool. Okay. But, like, it grows real fast, and I guess my uncle used to call me local weed. You're growing, because you're, you growing, grew? you're growing like local weed. Okay. Say, so he called me local weed. And I haven't put anything out in a while, so I figured Return of Loco, it just sounds cool, Sure too. enough, because we've had a few people, uh, we've had the poster up here at the station, and we've yeah. had a few people come in and comment, and we're like, what's... Sounds not badass, knowing, Not too. knowing Loco weed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like some drug dealer. So it's just exactly back. right. Yeah, are you releasing a rap record? It's you know? a shitty weed that uh, gets you sick, but yeah, it sounds cool. Uh, well, speaking of sounding cool, I want to get you to pick a track off the record that we can play for folks. We gave them a taste of the live thing, which, you know, obviously they'll get the full experience with the band tomorrow at the Times, but mm-hmm. uh, a little taste of the record itself can get yeah, you to pick sun- a track. Yeah, Sundown, the first song's good. Sundown on the beautiful island nation. That's the lead-off track. Was there something about it that, like, you knew that was, like, kind of how you wanted to start the record? Yeah. I don't know. I got that, like, ah-ooh in my... That's how the song starts. I thought that'd be cool to start the album. Werewolves of London style? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, Mason, thanks for coming in and playing some tunes and uh, talking about the record, and best of luck with the release. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Ah-ooh. Ah-ooh.
Mason Melly with Sundown on the Beautiful Island Nation, the leadoff track to Return of the Local Weed. A reminder that his album releases tomorrow at the Times Change. My thanks to Mason for coming in and playing some songs. My thanks also to Quinn Green from the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra for talking about next week's Elvis and the Grinch concert and to Lila Bialy for making some time to talk about her upcoming show December 13th at the Crescent Arts Centre. Back next Friday with Nick Friesen, formerly of Jaded and Elated. Uh, he put together a great compilation tribute to Transistor Sound and Lighting Company, and we'll be talking about that. Before we go, though, brand new single from Looney dropped today called Nothing Else Feels the Same. You can check out the video on YouTube. And then uh, as I've been going through my year-end long list, uh, preparing for Jared's and my uh, countdown show on New Year's Eve, uh, reviewing some of my favorite tunes, Baby Rose. I didn't play it on this show, uh, but uh, loved the album through and through. Great kind of throwback soul record. Fits nicely with the new Looney track. I'm going to play you my favorite track from through and through. It's called Love Bomb. Keep it locked for After 8 Radio coming up next. I can give you something to believe in. Just fall right out of me Weapon Eyes all I thought made me weak Into something that hurt too much to leave Can we close the gap between? 